text for this morning is found in verse 11. And it's the latter part of that verse. Paul says, For I have learnt in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. You'll see the words therewith are in italics. That means that the translators of our authorised version put those words in to give us a context and understanding of the sentence. But Paul is saying here, I have learnt in whatsoever state I am to be content. Well, one of the reasons the Apostle Paul has to write to the church at Philippi is to praise them and thank them for their practical support of him in his ministry. We see this in verses 10, 15, and 16. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as uh, concerning giving and receiving, but ye also. And then he continues that in verse 16. But that wasn't always the case. The church at Philippi was not always diligent in supporting the Apostle Paul. If we look back at chapter 2 and the verse 30, the Apostle Paul says there, Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service towards me. So the church at Philippi was guilty to a small measure of not supporting the work of the Apostle Paul by practical means whenever he was in the prison in Rome. Now Paul had left employment to preach the gospel on a full-time basis and it was ordained by God that this was a work that was to be supported by the churches. In Matthew 10, the Lord Jesus Christ sent the disciples out to preach and said, Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purse nor scrip for journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. But the church at Philippi was not the only church that was guilty of neglecting to supply the Apostle Paul with um, support. The church at Corinth was also guilty of this. In 1 Corinthians 9 verse 14, Paul had to tell that church, even so hath the Lord ordained that they that which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now it's unlikely that the church at Philippi had no desire to support the apostle. In fact, it seems likely that they wanted to support Paul, uh, but they lacked the opportunity. And perhaps they were not as zealous to get the gift to Paul as they uh, perhaps should have been. That was until Epaphroditus risked his life to bring support to Paul from the church. And we read of that in chapter 2, verse 30. And then in chapter 4, verse 10, Paul acknowledges their support. And it was the case, uh, it's been the case throughout uh, history that many of the Lord's choicest servants have uh, struggled in the realm of support. George Mueller, who ran the orphanage in Bristol, he also preached in a church there as well. And uh, they used to have a box at the door for people to put uh, their offerings in to support the ministry of George Mueller. But the deacons weren't always that faithful at opening the box 
and releasing the money to George Mueller. And there were many uh, weeks and sometimes even a month or two that passed before the deacons got round to opening the box and uh, providing George Mueller with his salary and with his wages. He never asked for it, but he prayed for it often uh, that uh, the Lord would undertake for his need there. But in verse 11, Paul addresses why he wanted their support. He's, with the words, he says, not that I speak in respect of want. Paul does not want their money. He does not covet their money. He knows that he serves the God who provides for his children. He would have been, of course, familiar with the story of Elijah and how the Lord fed Elijah at the brook for three years. Elijah was never without want and none of God's servants have ever been without want. And if the church at Philippi did not send support, the Lord would move others to help also. But the main reason that Paul wants to see support arrive from the church at Philippi is seen in verse 17. He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul wants to see a continued spiritual growth coming from these believers. They had been faithful in supporting him at the start of his ministry when he was in Macedonia and in Thessalonica. Whenever things were going well, they supported him faithfully. But now that he's in prison and many have forsaken him and turned away, Paul desires to see that in their heart they still support him. They still support the cause of the gospel and they have not abandoned him. So often, dear friends, the actions of the hand show the true state of the heart. So Paul didn't need their gifts. He wanted to see that they were still in true fellowship with the Lord and supporting the Lord's work and the Lord's purposes. But why did Paul not want their support? Did he not need it? We generally understand at this stage in his life, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. While he was not in a prison cell, he didn't have the liberty to go out and work in order to earn money to provide for himself. And there was no social welfare in those days. Uh, even prisoners had to have food brought to the prison for them uh, by relatives that wasn't necessarily always provided. So there was a need for Paul to have practical support from his fellow believers. But in the latter part of verse 11, Paul demonstrates that he doesn't get anxious, distressed, or worried about these practical matters of life. In fact, what Paul says here, I believe, are some of the most blessed words that uh, we can find in Scripture concerning our practical experience as a Christian. And if we can master what Paul says here, I believe it will elevate our, our Christian experience and our Christian journey to new heights. In verse 11, Paul says, For I have learnt in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. The Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs, he wrote a book, and it's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Why does he call Christian contentment a rare jewel? Because there are so few that find this rare jewel. But this is what Paul says, I have learnt in whatsoever state I am, to be content. Now you and I, like the Apostle Paul, we will face different stages 
in our lives. There will be those times when we're on the mountaintop, when everything's going well, perhaps even for a prolonged period, when there's no difficulties, no issues, no struggles and trials, not a cloud in the sky, nothing but bright rays of sunshine and a beautiful, clear outlook for the future. But then there'll be those other times when we're down in the valley, when we're perhaps in the slough of despond, when perhaps every day is a struggle and a trial, even to open our eyes or to get out of bed. Whenever our head is filled with continual worries and anxieties, whenever our cheeks and our pillows know nothing but tears flowing down them, whenever we can't even muster a happy thought, let alone a joyful word. We will face different times in life. We will face times of prosperity. We will also perhaps face times of poverty. We will know times of great success. Maybe times of failure. Times of good health. Maybe times of failing health. But how are we to cope through these different times? Well I think the Apostle Paul gives us some great advice here. A great example to follow He says, I have learnt in whatsoever state I am to be content. To be content. To be content in the good times. To be content in the difficult times. And in the struggles of life as well. So this morning I want us to think about Paul's contentment. And there's four headings this morning. First of all, Paul's contentment through experience. Paul's contentment through experience. Now, the Apostle Paul had many experiences in his Christian life. He had many physical and emotional sufferings that he endured. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lists here some of his physical sufferings. Reading from verse 24, Paul says, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Now for the boys and girls, the stripes are whenever the Romans used to take a big whip or a cord and lash your back. They were only allowed to do it 40 times anymore uh, was illegal. So they never did the full 40. They only ever did to 39, just in case they miscounted. But even to have one lash on your back would be painful. But to have 39. But the Apostle Paul says five times Received I 39 lashes. Well, I worked that out uh, to be around 220 different. Well, sorry, we'll add on the other things that he says here. In verse 25, he says, Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep, that is in the water, in the ocean. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen. And he goes on as well. So I estimate that Paul had around 220 different lashes upon his body throughout his lifetime. Each lash would leave a scar and it would leave a reminder of what he suffered. But not only did Paul suffer physical experiences, he also suffered many mental and emotional experiences. We see those in verses 28 and 29 of 2 Corinthians 11. 
He says, beside those things that are without, that is all his physical sufferings, he says, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak, am I not weak, who is offended, am I not, or, and I burn not. So the Apostle Paul says, as well as having all the physical sufferings, the beatings upon my body, being stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead, I also had those cares upon my mind where I was was anxious for every single church that he was in contact with all the different Christians in all the different towns and cities and villages. They were always upon his mind and he had the care And concerns for them as well. And although Paul had all these experiences upon his body and upon his emotions. He still knew contentment. He still knew what it was to be content. And dear friends you and I will always have cares. We will always have cares in our life. Cares for our family. Cares for our church. Cares for our community. Cares for our own body and our own health and our own provision. But they should never cause us to lose our contentment. We will have many trying experiences. But we should never cease to be content in our walk with God and in our salvation. So first of all, Paul was content through experience. Secondly, Paul was content through time. By this stage in his life, Paul was an experienced Christian. Rough calculations estimate us to believe that Paul had been a Christian for around 26 years by the time he penned these words. So this contentment that he possessed was something which had matured over time. God didn't give him the ability, well maybe perhaps he did, but normally we don't uh, suddenly know everything and have a an experienced state of emotions on the day we're converted. It's normally something that happens over time. Well, this contentment that Paul had, had matured over time. There's times in our Christian experience, God would have us to go through trials, but only when he knows we are ready for them. Whenever we have sufficient grace to endure and to keep our contentment And trust in him. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. God will always, uh, or he will never suffer us to be tempted or to go through trials that we are not able to cope with. For his grace is not sufficient for us. Whenever we think of contentment over time, I think one of the best examples of scripture is Moses. You'll remember that early in his life, Moses was a a petulant young man, uh, prone to violence. He killed the Egyptian. He sought to um, free Israel by military force, if you like, from the bondage and the slavery that they were in. But he had to flee. But after all that time in the wilderness, whenever Moses returned, he returned as a very different man. He returned as the meek Moses. And throughout his time of leading the children of Israel, he displayed a a huge amount of maturity 
and contentment that had been missing in his early life. He was now, he now knew what it was to walk with God and to listen to God. He had contentment, not without trials, perhaps not without his own failures, his own outburst of anger whenever he smote the rock, whenever the Lord only told him to talk to it. Yes, he was still a man, but I believe he had perhaps grown in the art of Christian contentment. So Paul was content through experience. He was content through time. Thirdly, Paul was content through divine providence. We know that God orders the affairs of all men. God is sovereign and in charge and in control of everything. There is not a state, a condition, a situation that you and I will find ourselves in which God is not in control of. We learn much about the sovereignty of God in the life of Job. Whenever we read the book of Job, we are told very clearly that it is God who has permitted these afflictions to come to Job. Not because God hated Job, not because God wanted to see Job turn away from faith in him, but because God knew that Job could and would endure. And it's the same for us, dear friend. There's no suffering that will befall us that God is not able to provide us sufficient grace to endure. But we see the sovereignty of God in Paul's life. Paul knew that God was sovereign in his imprisonment. There were reasons for him to be in prison in Rome. He also knew that God was sovereign regarding his need for food and clothing. And he knew that God was even sovereign in his failing eyesight. By this stage in Paul's life, many believe that Paul uh, was uh, on the verge of blindness. In fact, some commentators even believe that by the time of his death that Paul uh, was uh, fully blind, not able to see or write anything. But just as Paul knew the sovereignty of God in all the matters of his life, should we not know the sovereignty of God also? Should we not have contentment whenever we remember that God is absolutely sovereign and in control of everything? That there's nothing you and I can do to, to change what God has decreed in his eternal purpose. We were driving to school the other morning and uh, it was just a fear and I. And we were talking about how the sun always rises in the east and sets in the west. Well, that's what I told her. I hope I got that right. But it always rises in the east and sets in the west. I made what I thought was a very profound point. I said, you know, Afia, it doesn't matter what man does. They will never stop the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. They might complain about it. They might have protests about it. But they'll never be able to change it. And if God has decreed to do something in our life, we, dear friends, can't change it. We can pray, but prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us and brings us into submission in his will. What God has decreed for us, we are to humbly accept. But sometimes we feel aggrieved in our circumstances and we can perhaps question God's dealings with us. Whenever people do this, some lose faith in God. They turn away from believing and some turn against God and they blame God because they thought the Christian life was one where they wouldn't have any trials or problems or afflictions. And some are turned to a bitter disposition 
murmuring against God. Whenever we think back to Job, Job didn't curse God, but his wife did. She said to Job, curse God and die. That's what she told her husband to do. Curse God and die because of what he has done to you. Curse him. He's not worthy to be praised. Curse him. Well, does Scripture not say, do we not believe what Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 28? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. We struggle to believe that some of the trials that we go through are for good. But there's many people in, in throughout history who can testify that the Lord has used an affliction for good. We can think of the hymn writer Fanny Crosby, born blind. And yet if she hadn't been born blind, she says she, she scarcely would have wrote uh, many of the thousands of hymns that she ended up writing. Many people probably looked at her and thought that that poor little girl, born blind, she'll not have much of a life. But what an impact she has had upon the world with the beautiful hymns that God moved her to write. Many people felt sorry for her, but God used her blindness for his glory. He meant it for good. So Paul was content through the experiences of life, throughout time. He was content through divine providence providences and fourthly he was content regardless of the external circumstances in his life now Paul had reasons that you and I might say justifiably to worry more than any other individual uh, Paul could be worried about external circumstances after all the beatings he received he was now at the mercy of the Romans he was a prisoner in Rome and we should never underestimate the cruelty of the Romans Paul knew it only too well what they were capable of. They crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they killed James. They killed many others. Even Paul himself, he stood by. Whenever Stephen was stoned to death, he held their coats. He had blood upon his hands. Paul had reason to worry because his death was imminent at the hands of the Romans. But Paul disregarded these concerns. He was not worried about the Romans. He wasn't worried about the Jews, the economy, the political situation, Rome or the rest of the world. He was content. Yes, he had cares, but he was content. You and I will have cares in life, but even with our cares, we should be content. We should never lose our contentment with the external circumstances in life. Well, coming to a close this morning, well... We've thought of Christian contentment. I have learnt how to be content. How does contentment come? Well, Paul says, I have learnt. I have learnt. He says, this is something that I've had to learn. It's not something that God has just blessed me with above everybody else. He says, no, through the experiences of life, throughout the course of time, by studying divine providences and regardless of external circumstances, I have learnt to be content. I have learnt. This isn't something we obtain the day we become Christians. It's not a gift that's exclusive to a certain proportion of Christians. But it is something we can all have. Just as Paul learnt contentment, we can learn contentment. We often sing the hymn, Whate'er be my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well. 
with my soul. Well, why can we have contentment? Why can you and I be content in our Christian life? Well, we can be content in our Christian life because of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he has accomplished in our redemption and on our behalf. We can be content because our greatest problem in life has been dealt with. And our greatest problem in life is not financial. It's uh, not material. It's not physical. Our greatest problem in life is our problem of sin and our separation with God. Our sin puts a huge chasm between us and God. And the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with that sin to bring us back to God and to reconcile us to God. So all the other problems that we have in life, and as serious as they can be, they're minuscule in comparison to our great problem of sin that the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with. Well, how did he deal with our problem of sin? He dealt with our problem of sin on the cross of Calvary, where the Bible says he was made to be sin for us. He who knew no sin took our sin upon himself. He took our sin and he suffered at the wrath, or he suffered at the hands of his heavenly Father in order to secure our salvation, in order to blot out, to remove our sins from us. So you and I can be content in our relationship with God. God is not a stranger to us anymore. He's that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's our heavenly father. And he chose that name, father. He couldn't have picked a more endearing term for his children. So we can have contentment because of what Christ has done for us. Not downplaying our problems in life, but Christ has dealt with our biggest problem. So what is contentment? Well, contentment is peace in our souls, knowing that we are safe and secure in God's love, regardless of the circumstances in life. The Lord Jesus Christ could sleep in the boat, even though it was in the midst of a storm, because he knew. He knew the, the providential will and purposes of God, and he submitted to them. He knew he wasn't going to die in the boat. He submitted to it. We are to be content in our relationship with God, regardless of the affairs of this world. They should never cause us to lose our contentment. Paul's contentment was not tied to material things, not tied to the problems of the world. His contentment was learnt in prosperity and in poverty. We saw that in verse 12. His contentment was a matter of heart, not a matter of circumstances. If our contentment rests upon circumstances, then, dear friends, our contentment will will rise and fall like the stock market. Our contentment is to be found in God alone. Happiness is different from contentment. Our happiness can fluctuate depending upon our circumstances, whether we burn the dinner, hit our thumb with a hammer, or break a leg. That'll cause your happiness to go up or down. But contentment is different. Contentment is used by God for our sanctification. As we become more content and as we learn contentment, God uses this to deliver us from temptation. Why would I need to be tempted with that? I'm content in God. Contentment delivers us from covetousness. Whenever I was young, my parents and grandparents uh, used to hate the phrase, I want. I want a biscuit. I want this toy. 
And I was told from no height, I once don't get. And now I repeat that to my children. I once don't get. May I have, please. Thank you. God uses contentment to deliver us from covetousness. I was speaking to the Reverend Wesley Graham. He was my pastor uh, whenever I lived in Bristol. And of course he went to be the missionary in Nepal for many years. And he said, the people in Nepal, they don't need iPhones or iPads or TVs or Playstations. If they have food and the word of God, they're happy. They're happy. He says, they're not striving for the things of the world that that we strive after, that we think are going to make us happy and bring us contentment. They're happy just with the bare necessities of life. Contentment is used by God for our sanctification. So what is the key to contentment? Well, very simply, Christ is the key. He is the key. Contentment isn't found in a a system of works, the Protestant do's and don'ts. No. Contentment is found in Christ, in looking to him, in continually trusting in him, in believing upon him, in daily communion with him, speaking with him as a friend, talking with a friend. I once saw a poster outside a church, And I don't normally like these posters with these novelty gimmicks upon it. But this one was actually quite good. It says, whatever the problem, Christ is the answer. And that's true. The key to contentment, Paul summarized it perfectly. When he wrote to the the Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, looking unto Jesus. That is the key to contentment. Whenever we are looking at him, The worries, the cares of anxieties of life. They get dumbed down. They fade away. And as we gaze upon his beauty and upon his glory. We'll not need to be anxious or careful when we're in the presence of Christ. And we also have to remember that our burdens in life are only for a little season. Because there's coming that day. When we shall see the king in all his glory. And he will wipe away every tear. In that place where there's no anxieties. In that place where we know perfect contentment. Whenever he comes to take us to be with him. But until he comes or calls. Let us even seek to learn from Paul. He says I have learned in whatsoever state I am. Therewith to be content. May we learn that. Also, let us pray.